0: Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, Screen Routes. I'm back again with another great episode of Television Times Podcast. Now, this week, we have a great guest, the Australian comedian, Ange Lavoisier. pierre Not only is she a comedian, she's also a broadcaster and journalist and works for ABC in Australia. Now, I saw Ange performing in Edinburgh this year. I just had to get her on because she was just so fucking funny. You know, she really just took my breath away. So I, I just felt like I had to speak to her. And we had a really lovely convivial, fun chat. I think you'll agree, uh, sort of turns into, a one point anyway a kind of therapy session for me maybe both of us I'm not really sure anyway it was a great laugh and uh, I really loved meeting her and she was um, a fantastic guest for this podcast now normally I wouldn't do this I wouldn't tell you what song I've popped at the end of this uh, particular episode but I'm going to today because of what's happened in the news so uh, today's song is called everything could change in an instant it was recorded in Tokyo in 2006 and it was a direct reflection of what was going on in British politics anyway and the wider world but it was mostly about that sort of uh, Um, David Cameron sort of turning up as a new Tory leader over here and sort of overshadowing Tony Blair on his way out and he was very much the new kid who was basically taking his mantle now for those of you who are following current events uh, in the UK you will and from abroad I'm sure you will now know that David Cameron is back the pig is back in town he's back in number 10 as foreign secretary even though he's not an MP a lot of people have mentioned he's unelected so they've made him a life peer which means he becomes a lord instantly Um, So now we have an unelected PM and an unelected foreign secretary. Isn't that great? The man who literally fucking caused Brexit is back to wreak havoc. Now, I don't hate David Cameron like some people do. He's a moderate. Uh, In some ways, it's it's good to see that there isn't such a, you know, a slurry of right-wing lunatics in the cabinet like there was uh, very recently. And I know this isn't a political podcast, but it's impossible to sort of, to to not talk about this because it is literally what this country has been going through for 13 years, nearly 14 years of Tory fucking rule. The guy who started the whole thing, the austerity king, Mr. Fucking, you know, I can't eat a hot dog or a miles bar without a knife and fork. He is now back. It's it's kind of unbelievable, really. Um, So that's why I put that song at the end. But it is really, really strange, isn't it? That the king of Brexit is back. The guy that didn't want it to happen. The guy that lost the referendum is back. But I guess in some way I should be happy there's a lot more Remainers in charge now. I I don't know. I don't know what to think. Uh, So there we are. That's uh, something I could not not mention, considering the bombshell news story that it was uh, just yesterday over here. Anyway, let's get on to our guest. Move away from all this political nonsense for now. Uh, This is the wonderful comedian, journalist, broadcaster, artist. I'm going to call her an artist because she really, really is. This is Ange lavois Let's listen to Ange because
1: she's got a lot of really cool things to say.
0: Roll up, roll up! Welcome to Television Times, a new podcast with your host, me, Steve Otis Gunn. We'll be discussing television in all its glorious forms, from my childhood, your childhood, the last 10 years, even what's on right now. So join me as I talk to people you do know and people you don't about what scared them, what inspired them, and what made them laugh and cry, here on Television Times. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. <laughs> yeah, hi. How are you? I'm
2: good. I'm um I mean actually in truth I'm um I've still got whatever plague that every Australian seems to catch when they show up at Edinburgh. Like yeah. that just whatever like medieval disease is contained in those walls. Yeah. We all get and our weak little antipodean um immune systems can't cope and we'll hit the deck and then like slowly spend the next month or two trying to crawl Um, back off the deck to overextend extend the metaphor.
0: I first saw you at Fast Fringe on on, on, literally the first night I got up there. I was there for about a week. Oh, I saw wow. Fast Fringe and you came on and did your... Uh, sleep Meditation. Yes, your Sleep Meditation character, <laughs> which made me laugh my head off and thought, well, I've got to go <laughs> and see that show. I wanted to see the other one, but I have... We'll talk about this, but I have a slight aversion to blood. Uh, so oh. even though it looks really funny and I've seen trailers and I've obviously in, immersed myself in your work in the last few days. Oh, to, that's to nice. Things I haven't seen. You haven't got a lot of comedy on, online. You're kind of locked down, I see, which is quite a good thing, I guess.
2: No. Well, I'm sort of like... Hold on. Are we, are we, are we in the podcast proper now? Or are we just yeah, like, pretty much. Least, yeah. fantastic. I love that. I love that. That's <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What, no, no, no. That's great. No interest. Um, yeah. I think I've always, I've always had a sense that like I've always just wanted there to be quality control yeah. and it can be really expensive to get stuff filmed beautifully and put up. And I mean, I know like TikTok's different and you just sort of chuck stuff up, but I've always been a little bit risk averse about that stuff because I've got this media career in Australia. Like I've got yeah. this whole other sort of public profile as yeah. a as a journalist slash like, you know, like I talk about important things and sometimes I'm talking about, you know, culture or whatever yeah. it is and, you know, it's a bit of a mixed bag for me. But I always, you know, sometimes my comedy is pretty absurd and it's pretty off the wall and I think Australia is quite a small place and I just had this sense that it wouldn't necessarily make heaps of sense me to have like I don't know like I did I did um a spot at Ruben K's variety night at K-Hole at Fringe which is just this fantastic night and I adore Ruben and the show that he puts on but like the the character that I did for that like I'm scurrying around in a like in a fucking bin bag with my with my (laughs) ass out and like putting my hand like and talking about like like making weird sounds and just it's like it just couldn't be further from like and now i have some facts to tell you about corruption and also artificial intelligence like
0: yeah well that's the thing i mean because mostly your comedy seems to be character driven these days and quite theatrical as well i would say mm-hmm. I, I come from a theatre background i worked in theatre for a long time um so you know i can see that aspect of things did you train as an actor or no just, <laughs> i'm wildly like, untrained you look, you look like you have absolutely
2: <laughs> oh, that's so nice i've seen the,
0: people through the whole rada process and all that and they're like a wooden spoon compared to you trust me oh <laughs> you do look like you've been through the theater mill for sure oh
2: thank you i really honestly like that doesn't sound like a um at some i don't know that everyone would take that as a compliment like you've been through the theater mill like you <laughs> no know. But i
0: mean I look, looks I look, like, I look, <laughs> what i mean is i mean yeah, in no, a but i, know, way. I like, do
2: know what you mean and i really appreciate it because um no one's ever no one's ever thought i had training before um uh, yeah, you well, do look true, like but...
0: a, like a you know a lot I don't know a lot of comedians who do theatrical pieces. It looks a bit like um, when Joey is in a play in Friends, you know that kind of, <laughs> of how Americans show plays on television, yeah, which yeah. are always really abysmal. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah,
0: that yeah precisely.
2: Yeah, yeah, no. Um, of the two, so my performing partner, um, when I'm not doing things on my own, um, mm-hmm. that's how performing partners work. Is Jane Watt, yeah. and she's like properly trained, like she's she went through one of the kind of um sort of prestigious acting schools in australia Whopper. it's it's based in oh, yeah, um, heard that. yeah
0: in, in, in australia performing arts is that what that's it right from? yeah guessable guessable yeah that's not
2: guessable. like W H O P E R. like yeah, yeah, it's yeah. just a big
0: acting school because you don't um, have burger king you
2: have hungry yeah. jacks so they're not they're <laughs> exactly not so we just saved that for the for the acting school yeah we call it yeah, Whopper. Yeah. Whopper. um but she's yeah. She's, she's, you know, incredibly, tra- she's like a proper, like she's like a capital A actor mm. and she'll sometimes will be on stage and, and like, cause we do quite a silly, absurd little show. Like, I mean, I love it. I think, yeah. you know, absurdism is a completely um, valid uh, genre. And, you know, I think we, particularly people who perform in it sometimes have a habit, particularly if we're, you know, if you're a woman and if you're, um, you know, I guess it's sort of. The, the earlier part of your career to say yeah. like it's just this dumb little thing that we do, whereas mm. actually, of course, like, and just denigrate it. But
0: yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Well, I read your um, article on um, needing more women to do gross comedy. And I <laughs> yeah, think, I, think, I think you're onto something there. Yeah,
2: yeah. Sure. I think there's a value yeah. in being. Um, uh, and being discussing little grommets and weirdos. Um, yeah. and it points out something, uh, quite important about the world we live in, but, uh, not to overstate things, of course, but, um, it, it's, it was this quite odd feeling when we started to, I guess, um, formalize this show that we've been mucking around, you know, try and sort of get it in the kind yeah. of shape where you could tour it and, you know, bring it ultimately to Edinburgh and she would use this language that I just never heard before she I can't even I'll ruin it if I even try and repeat it but she's like we'll we'll mark that or whatever and I'm like
0: what like
2: what do you mean (laughs) (laughs) it's just I'm a total amateur and she's
0: anyway but she's um, got little bits of Alex tape on the floor for the blocking and all that kind of stuff she does that sort of thing and she
2: uses language and I she thought I was taking the piss out of her the first couple (laughs) times I'm like what do you mean what does that mean and she's like don't be mean. And I'm like, no, I'm not being mean. I just don't know what you're talking about. Please stop and tell me what you mean right. with your little theater words. I'm just a humble <laughs> journalist.
0: You became a journalist for ABC, at age 19. Which yeah. Is extremely young.
2: Yeah. It was, yeah, it was young. I uh I I went through school a couple of years early, which they don't do anymore because they think it causes problems for you socially.
3: Oh
2: right. Really? <laughs> well, like I went through two years, like I was I was two years behind my co- cohort the whole time. Right, right, right. Um. Anyway, in Australia at least, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. Uh. Which meant that I was sort of it's a bit interrupted because I I had actually never te- properly finished high school because I right. was diagnosed with leukemia at the beginning of my final year of high school and had I'm fine now um but had um two two years worth of treatment which covered the final year of my schooling and then what would turn out to be the first year in university yeah um and so I I, kind of never got my year 12 it was weird they let me through Hmm. anyway I don't know cancer opens a lot of doors apparently (laughs) um and
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Americans always call it the general diploma of education or something. Right. Everyone gets them. And if they don't get it, they have to go back when they're 40 and get it and stuff like that.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah no, nothing, we're much more casual about that in Australia. Yeah. An Irish friend of mine once described us in, as an aggressively informal people, and that's really <laughs> stuck. And I think that's kind of aggressively informal. I think that really extends out to, like, everything, like schooling, yeah. attainment, um, you know, regulation sometimes. Well, it's, in, it's in the
0: language, isn't it? I mean, I, I've got written up here, I've got journo instead of... Journo. Because I know that's what you call yourself, absolutely, <laughs> even in the most professional circles.
2: Oh, God, yeah. No, the, I mean, journalists are the worst for it. We'll we'll, you know, it's like yeah. a more exaggerated version of being Australian is being an Australian journalist because we will... We will shorten every word that's possible to shorten. This. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, as a consequence, uh, just because so I managed to remember to finish this story and don't get lost on six Sorry. tangents, which I am want to do. <laughs> Sorry, <me> um, too. <laughs> uh, I ended up in university at 16, wow. just because school had kind of spat me out at that uh-huh. age. And I couldn't leave town. I, was, I grew up in a country town. Um, I mean, Jane would scorn that because she grew up in like on a farm, and I'm like, I grew up, I grew up in the country, and it was like a town of thirty thousand people called Bathurst, yeah, yeah, yeah. just west of Sydney. So, country and country in Australia, you know, there's a yeah, I see of different that on, on the that. TV
0: shows a lot. Where there's a, that literally, <laughs> we watch quite a lot of Australian television. If there's any kind of like on the bad TV shows, like I think Married at First Sight or Farmer Needs a Wife, all those kind of silly shows, uh, which we do watch sometimes. I must admit, it's embarrassing. Um, <laughs> but there's always this kind of like. Well, I'm a country person, and he's from the city, and I'm like, he's from Adelaide. that's, yeah. a, that's a town <laughs> it's not to me. The same <laughs> you know what I mean? Thing. And they're acting like he's from LA or something.
2: <laughs> yeah, I was catching up with who was it? It was a uh, not to name drop, but my good friend Chloe Pets, um, a, yeah, yeah. you know a, a comedian who I love here, who's, um, who just kind of got to know the circuit this year, actually. Oh. But um, she was saying that she really um that, that they were saying that they really love the pace of yeah. life, like the the relaxed pace in Sydney which is yeah. a very funny thing for Australians to hear because, yeah, 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 yeah. because Londoners say that, but Sydney is yeah. like the paciest place in Australia. And we're like, well, gosh, I mean, everyone's in such a Russian in such a bad mood all the time. It's like, this is like, uh, going to Fiji, I think yeah. for, for, um, Londoners. Yeah, but I,
0: worked, anyway. I worked in a burger bar in, um, Darling Harbour one summer. Um and I used to take the boat. I'm so sorry for
2: your loss. I to, yeah,
0: I know. I used to take the boat to work and I was like, this is so cool. This is the coolest yeah. job I've ever had. Very badly paid. I'm not sure it was entirely legal. No, um, it sounds bad like bad it was definite, definitely <laughs> legal Um
2: yeah. Uh, but yeah, so I I was in Bathurst, um, where I had not planned to be. I had planned to be like out in the big wide world, but was pretty stuck there because I was pretty mm. unwell and needed to be around family and you know, yeah kind of Continuity of care from an from a, um, oncology perspective. And uh, then I was like, oh, well, I guess I'll go to this, this university here. They seem to have journalism, and then ended up quite liking it and doing, you know, having, having it, it sort of just suited me I, yeah. uh, for whatever reason, probably ADHD. I, I don't know. Yeah. So then uni kind of spat me out, although I never really finished that either hmm. but at 19. And I started picking up shifts at the ABC. I don't think they knew I was 19. Oh, I don't right. think they knew because I didn't, I mean, you don't kind of lead with it and they, they more sort of look, yeah. they go like, Oh, well, you are in your third year of university. And you, you know, before, I think before my 20th birthday, I was like showing up at prime ministerial press conferences and, you know, having to like <laughs> yeah. ask, you know, I think it was Tony, was it Abbott at the time? It might've been right. just getting in into with people. I can't remember. Just like, yeah. Yeah, just, yeah, yeah. just being, you know, a journalist as you would be in, in Sydney as well, you know, where yeah, yeah, kind yeah. of a lot of it, a lot of it happens. And, um, uh in the small country town we call australia and yeah i don't think anyone i think they kind of worked out later that i was 19 they're like oh we let her do what um <laughs> and yeah but then they i don't know then i was in there and they couldn't get me out and i've been there for 15 years which is a long time it's
0: amazing i tried to read as many articles as i could and there's only one that's stopping me sleeping and that's the one on lobe L-O-A-B, mm. if that's how you say it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that fucking thing kept me up at night, that is scary that is scary stuff especially when it starts speaking back I know it says it doesn't want to be evil and all that but I just that really opened my eyes and I know there's a lot of stuff on online about AI a lot of fear mongering I've heard a lot of things that are just like a little bit over the top yeah that one just seemed that just is the closest one that seemed like an entity talking to us you know and it really it really was quite disturbing
2: yeah I mean so for context for anyone listening yeah. um what well, what I did it was a it was about a year ago. So it was before Chat GPT. It was mm. Less than a year ago, it was about November that this story yeah. came out. It was before Chat GPT had come out, we had GPT three, so the pre precursor. Um we had some uh, image generators, but it was just sort of the crest of that wave of generative AI, which we're all kind of thoroughly sick of hearing about, either mm. because we're like, yeah, we get it, or it's so terrifying, we don't want to hear anymore. Or we don't get it, it's or, become
0: like crypto, don't talk about it. Or we don't, or we don't get it, it. Yeah, and, yeah. It's,
2: and it's exactly, it's blockchain, mm. and we just are like, shut up, shut up, shut up. So yeah. I think there's this, we're at this really interesting moment where this technology that, unlike blockchain, is going to change the world around us, yeah. and everyone's kind of gone like, la, 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 I don't want to hear. Yeah, another um,
0: catastrophe, no thanks.
2: Another catastrophe, no thanks. It's somewhere between climate change and blockchain in terms of how people engage with it as a media yeah. story, which is kind of my, I feel like it's, part of my job to try and, you know, get around that yeah. um, and tell people what they need to know. But this was before, for context, this was kind of like before everyone had really heard of it, this was a bit of an educative mission. So, But there's this um, artist, really in- incredible artist named Super Composite, um, Steph Swanson, who was working with some of the image generators in their earlier iterations, I think, um, you know, some of the ones that are fairly available online. Hmm. And through a series of processes that I won't bore you with, discovered is probably the best word for what happened. She discovered uh, like a kind of image of a woman. But the woman, normally you'll get like a random person every, you know, now and then, but yeah. this woman, you know, in a block of four images that, you know, it'll, that an image generator might churn up if you're familiar with these things, you know, th- they yeah. might be disparate. You might get a ball, a chair, a, a, you know, a vista and, you know, maybe a person, I don't know, whatever mm. it is, just four different images. It came back with like four of the same woman. And she had these really distinctive characteristics. She looked kind of bereft, devastated, um, uh, like a little spooky maybe, um, uh, and always located in the same place. All of that's super weird. And, again, without wanting to get overly technical, no matter how Steph, this artist super composite, tried to sort of navigate away from the image of this woman, she was very persistent um, in the process that you use to generate images. Not only that, but she showed a tendency to appear with images of, like, no, slight content warning here, I suppose, but maimed and dead children. Like, they yeah. were gory horror images. Yeah. These are not image generators that, like, these tools are not designed to create that stuff. Um, And and, it, and even to, like, talk about, to give her agents to be like, she, like, Loeb, this yeah, person, yeah. it's, like, it's kind of nuts because it's yeah, yeah. just it's just a sort of... A fluke of the machine is is the best, like unless you actually believe in magic, and I don't think that anyone well. here does. Um, so <laughs> you know, but it it, it was something, there was something about it that was, it just captured the imagination. And it was like, for me, what it demonstrated was like, here's what we don't understand, mm-hmm. and here's the extent to which we don't understand it. A sort of slightly spooky internet ghost story to to help communicate that. Not to be like, because people got quite mad. People were like, not like, you know, you're this is a beat-up ball, like you're saying that you know, you're giving this like a supernatural quality. I'm like, yeah. no, like I'm, I'm telling a story um, in, a, in a spicy way for sure. Mm. But at, if you read through like at no point, I'm like, oh, we, go, yeah, yeah. We, go, yeah. we go to great pains to say. But it still makes isn't... you
0: feel that way. Yeah. Like, that's the thing because we don't understand it. If we don't understand something, we usually give it some kind of, uh, who's the guy? Oh God, Richard Wiseman, whose paranormality book. And he talks about that a lot, that things we don't understand. We just say, well, that, we can't understand that. So it must be the paranormal I'm and, writing um,
2: that down. That is a hot recommendation. Yeah, Thank oh, it's you. very good. It's a very I'm re- good
0: book. I'm very interested in this stuff. He's kind of comes from the magician kind of world. But when it comes to things like this, I think it's that thing, you know, like it's the double thing. I don't believe in ghosts. But if I see something spooky a bit close to bedtime and I get up in the night, I'm going to see that in the garden. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I don't yeah. believe in it but i still put the fucking light on you know yeah. what i mean <laughs> so yeah. it's, that, it's that kind of feeling and i think that when i read that article it gave me that same kind of feeling of course it's just computer code it's not terminator 2 we're not all going <laughs> to be killed by the robots but there's something going on there that we don't understand but i also yeah. don't understand how i'm on a rock floating through space so there's a lot we don't understand so right know, I, yeah I the fear of, is
2: just instructive like the way yeah. that your your mind constructs like a you know a story around it it's just it's instructive about the things that we don't know and what what mm. kind of on some like deep, like it, like primal level, it's yeah. triggered some sort of um, uh oh, uh oh feeling in the backs of our brains, which is interesting in and of itself. So yeah, worth, yeah. worthy of attention.
0: It's yeah. a very interesting time. I'm wondering where this is all going to go. It seems like the year. It's like the thing of the year, isn't it? This year, Chat GPT and, and AI.
2: Yeah, we did a follow up, which was I, I did a follow up, which was kind of more about the the very interesting strain of thought within the community that is building this stuff where like a certain percentage of them actually just really believe that this could lead to the end of the world like we're not talking mm. about like you know what you and I who are essentially lay people when it comes to comp- you know computer science yeah. at this level um you know we don't we don't know we can be like oh, I feel like it's scary it's gonna end the end the world who cares what we think really at the end of the yeah. day but the people building it yeah. are kind of like oh yeah like it could It could all end. It could all actually bend down. We might be actually building the death machine. And they did that, which is, they're not certain.
0: No, well, they never are. It's like Manhattan Project. You know, they didn't know if it was going to set off a nuclear reaction to blow up the world. It was the same with CERN in Switzerland. And nobody knows, but they still, they flick the switch, see what happens. Yeah.
2: Well, we are flicking the switch. We're flicking all the switches right now. We're just like running, like sprinting up and down the switchboard, just smashing switches. So, yeah, what could be wrong?
0: Saying about it right, guys. Yeah, guys uh, Schmidgeist. Schmidgeist yeah. uh, podcast. Did that come from your journalistic background, or was that something you wanted to do anyway? Because you had a podcast before that was quite. Yeah, newsy. I mean,
2: yeah. Well, I was making the ABC's, so the, you know, Australian National Broadcasters' yeah. first um, daily news podcast for four years. It was kind of their foray into that. And then when yeah. I moved off that, and I sort of, I don't know, like I had a background in you know hard news journalism, like mm. you know chasing politicians around, going to corruption trials, murder trials, yeah. um, but had this sort of parallel career in comedy and more, more of an interest in just, I don't know, I, uh, entertainment feels like a dirty word, but I just mm. think what, whatever we're doing in the news yeah. a lot of the time, we are not, we're not engaging people anymore. Like we're losing people kind of under 40 at a rate of knots and that's partly to do with the media environment and the way that there are just a lot more places people can go to get whatever they want. And a lot of people just, as we were saying, AI, climate change, blockchain, people are just like, actually, no, thank you. No more news, yeah. no more information, goodbye, um, yeah. which, I, which I understand too. Yeah. Um, but I guess I have an interest in talking to people about the world in a way that interests them um, and doing something that it brings meaning, that makes meaning of the world, but doesn't do so with the voice of God. And Schmeidgeist yeah. was, I mean, the, the podcast was, was about that. So is so is the other podcast that I worked on. But yeah, this was kind of my first big Schmike was like me making my own podcast with the ABC for the first time that was wholly, yeah. wholly and solely kind of my own thing. And That's I great. got to just make a a weird but like very detailed podcast about like you know, so it's a, taking a trend, something big in in the culture and like, yeah. actually, wait, how did this get here and what does it say about it? So like taking some, like small window into a big world. So for example, like, yeah. okay, why, how did Crocs go from being like the embarrassing?
0: Yeah. Um, <laughs> I want to listen to that one first. That one makes me die. So
2: <laughs> <laughs> how did Crocs go from being the embarrassing shoe from the boat show that yeah. your dad would wear and you would die um, if they wore it to school drop-off or whatever? Yeah. Um, to being like a Balenciaga heel and, like, you could pay 1,400 or so. You know, you pay, like, 700, 800 pounds for a a croc, a single croc or two crocs.
0: It's just on the back of that sort of plastic Kanye sort of shoes, isn't it? It's a trend for, like, things that look like they've been made on a 3D printer for, like, thousands and thousands of dollars, which makes no sense to me at all. think
2: that's definitely a parallel. But we wanted to sort of, um, yeah, I guess, because there are some really big reasons about, like, Big things about modernity and hmm. and why we are where we are. That you know that that inform Crocs. Like if you kind of yeah. explode the Croc, you'll find a lot of in- interesting things about where we're up to as a, a society. <laughs>
0: Sure, they were real. I think I bought them off a market somewhere, um, but I wore the hell out of them. And I remember wearing them all the way through my travels. And when I got home to London, I was still wearing them like some kind of knobhead. Um, <laughs> and then on did day two, did you get two, for it? I didn't have to because I looked at my feet and they were black with dirt because London's no. so dirty. Yeah, my feet were like, oh my god, I can't wear these here. My feet are disgusting. And then I went out and bought socks for the first time in about six months. <laughs>
2: I I went to um, Royal Albert Hall last night to see Rufus Wainwright with my with my friend Dan Y, and we had I neither of us actually. Dan lives here in London. Mm. I'm visiting, um, but neither of us had ever been to Royal Albert Hall, and it was it was Mm. for the the proms, and it was like this, you know, it was this very beautiful night. And we, yeah, and for people who don't know that part of London, um, I I certainly didn't, um, Mm. but you know, it's this incredibly affluent area and you know you're wandering around and you know there's just like money falling off buildings. Every building
0: is ridiculous.
2: It's 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 bananas. Um and we came home and you know we you know we obviously you have to catch a couple of trains to get home as you do and Mm. we kind of we got back here and we're having a drink back at um, this apartment and and we were sort of wiped our faces at some point because it's what Londoners would call a heat wave. It's not it's like twenty it's like twenty-eight degrees, please. Yeah, like yeah. it's like you're yeah, all made yeah. of ice cream here. It's really funny. Um <laughs> yeah, but <I> <laughs> uh, but we wiped our faces and there was like soot that came off. I'm like, look really? we're Dickensian orphans, look at this. Seriously, look, it's yeah. wild. Um anyway, I had no idea. But yes, yeah, so yeah, crocs, not a not a shoe, not a shoe for not London. Not a London shoe, no. Mm.
0: When I was a kid, I used to travel on the London underground with my nan and she was a smoker. Mm. And they had smoking carriages. And she'd always insist that I sit in the smoking carriage with her, obviously, to travel <laughs> all the way from East London to North London. To two hours, right? On a series my of, times right. really have changed, haven't they? It's really quite
2: funny sometimes <laughs> yeah, hearing said something. And my nan would make me sit make in, me in the cancer <laughs>
0: box. Yeah. And we sat in there and they had, because they these were really old trains, they were still running then, they had like wooden um, window frames. Mm. And my nan would say, don't touch the wooden window frames because you'll get sooty hands. And so I'd always <coughs> do that. But I'm telling you, I looked like a chimney sweep when I got off yeah. that train because I would touch it and then I'd scratch my face. And by the yeah. time I got to North London, I was absolutely covered.
2: It's just so indicative of that generation as well to oh, be no. like,
0: do breathe the air, do, like, do breathe the smoke, yeah, yeah. don't touch the window. Don't um, touch the window. Stand behind the ice cream van and suck in all the fumes. <laughs> yeah. It's fine. Pretty much. Um, oh, it's, yeah. it's disgusting when I think about it. I can't mm. believe they existed. Smoking underground trains. I mean, they don't even have an emergency exit. I,
2: I can't believe smoking planes existed, particularly when you keep in mind what you know these days. They're like, do you have any loose batteries? Like, if you've got <laughs> a know. loose battery, it might explode. And you're like, yeah, what? Yeah. This, how fragile is this whole operation? Like, what do you mean? Like, I don't know if I have any loose batteries. Like, maybe I. I mean, is this vape okay? Like, I don't yeah, know. I don't not. know. Yeah, you need um, a
0: shoe bomber if you take a vape on.
2: Yeah, like what is it? A hot <laughs> air balloon? Like what is going on here? And and. and <laughs> But then, but when air travel was significantly more, like planes were just falling out of the sky every yeah, other, yeah, yeah. like every other month, they just hadn't worked it out yet properly, and the pilot, pilots were drunk, and so you know, <laughs> a much more kind of risk, like the risk profile on flying yeah, yeah. in those times was higher, and they're like, yeah, you can smoke,
0: yeah, yeah. bring the bring the little fire, bring the fire, pick some matches. There's yeah, yeah. fireworks. Like they were just <laughs> actual matches, of course, and a lighter. Yes, yes. Onto they the didn't, plane, they didn't give a
2: shit. They were just yeah. Anyway, so smoking on flights wasn't banned in Europe until the year 1997.
0: And actually, the French national carrier Air France did not actually ban smoking until November 2000. As insane as that sounds. Yeah, you could smoke on a flight to Turkey from London in '97. And that's moderately really? pretty recent times, if you think about it. Yeah, that was
2: like Cl- Clinton.
0: Like that's like that's
2: modernity
0: before the millennium you could pretty much we could smoke in pubs and smoke everywhere really
2: yeah you could actually yeah
0: I sort of prefer that I'm not a smoker myself nor a vapor but I I sort of I preferred it when it was contained (laughs) rather than just like people outside doors blowing it at me it's it's way better when there was like an area that was fine but yeah, yeah I always think it's funny in like countries like Singapore or China or Japan where they just stick them in a glass box. So yeah, just in a big glass box, and you see a face come to well, the window now and again.
2: It reminds <laughs> me of like when you were a teenager and you wanted to smoke either like weed or like anything. Yeah, yeah. You would do. You would have to do it in a car because there's nowhere for teenagers to be except in oh, cars.
0: Right. And yeah, so yeah, yeah.
2: you just see these like cars that were. I don't know if you call it what you call it here, but we call it like Dutch oven.
0: Oh right, like just a and chong like, car full. Yeah, of, like
2: it's just like a car full of smoke.
3: Yeah,
0: yeah, because it
2: was the only place that you were allowed to smoke. And like, like you know, being at Changi Airport or whatever, and seeing the little glass box where people smoke, you are like, you all look, you all look fourteen to me right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Um, you know, like you see American phone boxes from the seventies. It's like this little hood over a phone yeah. box. There was one of them at Changi Airport when I first went there. They didn't have a smoking room. They had smoking. Uh, kind of like what you put your hair on for. An old lady would dry the hair on. Like they'd lean back in and they'd smoke, and the air would just go like <laughs> a little, like a little, like a space hat. Yes, and it would just yeah. suck the smoke from through their hair. Amazing! <laughs> I it was unbelievable. That's the future. I mean, yeah. wait, we got to write this down. This is fantastic.
2: Yeah. Why sure. hasn't this been? Why hasn't this been scaled? This should this be is rolled fantastic. out. Absolutely. <laughs>
0: Right, I'm going to try and uh, steer this into some television, if that's all right. Please. You watch a lot of TV, or
2: okay. Here's the thing: why I laughed a little bit and I was like, I wonder how this is going to go. When you asked, when you said, "Come do this podcast," I went, "Sure, mm. absolutely, um, yeah. always." Yes, I have not owned a TV though that worked and like was hooked up to um, to, pre-tip to air since mm. I was since I lived at home. Mm. So since I was 17 or 16, yeah, that was the last time I had like a working TV. Um, Every now and then I'll get like a job in TV uh, and I'll sort of have to pretend that I watch more TV than I do. I'm also just like pathologically busy. Basically the things that I watch, I really watch. I tend to like really get into things occasionally, but there are huge like just holes in my knowledge you could drive a fleet of trucks through.
0: I'm going to do something I did with, um, I've done it with two people in um, Edinburgh. I'm going to ask you to pick a number between 1 and 20. 15. If you could embody a TV character in real life, take a fictional character and embody that person for 24 hours, who would it be?
2: It would be Natasha Lyonne's character in Russian Doll. Ah. Which is interesting, I guess, because she lives the same 24 hours over and over and, and over, over and over and over and over again.
3: Yeah. But
2: I, I just, I think that's one of my favourite TV shows and I loved the that that world exists on the precipice of being hyper-realistic but also spooky and magical but without ever mm. really articulating that because It hints at the wonder of the world and sort of tries to reflect that without ever being so messy as to be specific, because I think once you become ultra specific about the type of magic you're trying to portray or the type of like Mm. spookiness, you, you know, you you immediately present logic problems that, you know, that the world starts to fall apart. So they kept it just vague enough and just Mm. spooky enough and poetic enough that, that, that it could be described or reflected rather. Yeah, it just felt like a big sort of mental health allegory, you know, like resolving mm. resolving your trauma as a way to kind of move past, you know, repeating yeah, the same mistakes. Yeah. Um, yeah, generational, intergenerational trauma. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, look, looking within to kind of be able to move past the, the sense of repeating the same mistakes over and over again, which is mm. what she was doing. But I also just like that character. I think I also just want to be her. It's not oh, that I right. want to be like me in that world, it's like I would want oh, like, to use yeah. Yeah, yeah. my yeah, yeah. brain yeah, yeah. Um, and personality with Natasha Lyons because um, I, I think she's so funny and incredible and hilarious and wry and the way that mm-hmm. she moves through the, the world without at all caring what other people
3: yeah, think, think. Yeah, she doesn't yeah. give shit. She doesn't
2: give a shit what people yeah. think and that's something that I've would I would love a little bit more of that essence in my life in my personality wouldn't we all right yeah uh but yeah
0: I think she's got a new show out but I can't watch it yet because it's too close to that one I want to give it a beat you know what I mean I kind mm. of see her in that role so I can't watch another thing so soon maybe give it yeah. a few years
2: yeah wow that's yeah you know I once met a guy who um loved Nirvana so much that he and he was like very young when he worked out he loved Nirvana and he worked out as you do, that Kurt Cobain was gone, Nirvana's not making any more music, and went, I don't want to exhaust the back catalogue too quickly. I'm going to pace myself. I'm only going to let myself listen to a new Nirvana song, like one every three weeks or something really? like that, and just get through the back. I don't know if that really held out. This person was mm-hmm. in their, their 20s when I met them and they started doing that. But anyway, I just, I've just i always thought it was very, it's an uncommon characteristic, an uncommon choice, and I think what telling about a person when they hold back and they're like, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna wait to consume this next thing because it's not my innate way."
0: Yeah, I can't do like my wife. She's not mine. <laughs> uh, she will if we're watching something and another like, especially. And I say this because in an Australian TV show, I was watching uh, Utopia, which I love. That sort mm. of, um, I love that show. But I was also watching Fisk. And the same two people are in it, and I was like, I can't watch this till I've watched that. And she was <laughs> like, "But well, I don't care if it's the same actor, and I'm like, But I can't. I know that's. That's it. (laughs) He decided that he's that guy and she's that woman, and therefore they can't also. I can't watch it at the same time. Okay. Mad.
2: So what that seems like then is that you have managed
0: to really (laughs) thoroughly.
2: You're you're a person who can really. or does or necessarily really commits to... Like, you're incredible at suspending your disbelief, perhaps. Like, you really commit mm. to the fiction of whatever it, the story is that you're engaging in. Is that Unless it's like say?
0: American actors in films and it's like, well, that's just Tom Cruise. Yeah, I, I can't do that because sure. they're, they're all the same people all the time. yeah Right, but, but you're,
2: you're, you're willing to mm. be actually convinced of the reality of the world that you're watching. For a period, yes. How do you go with horror films?
0: Uh, recently... A recent convert. I always Mm. hated them, always disliked them, never liked horror, don't like gore. I watched Scream and things like that at the time, probably a bit after. Um, But now I really love, like, Blumhouse movies and kind of, uh, for some reason, I don't know what it says, I think it's not good, but I quite like films where people... Like, you know, two people will go to the Outback and, and someone will follow them from the fucking garage. And, you know, it's Mick or whatever from, you know, someone similar to Wolf Creek will happen, you know. And I'm like, sure. oh, I, like I like a survival flick. Uh, or, you know, things like that. Or a woman will get like, you know, my God, that film, that Australian film, Hounds of Love. I've never seen it. Oh, fuck. Stephen Curry, the comedian, Being mm-hmm. Evil. It's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. It's probably mm-hmm. the best film I've ever seen. What? Uh, All right. right I then. Know, it's, it's up there. It's top three. And uh-huh. it's just – I know it's only loosely based on what happened to some schoolgirls right? in, I'm assuming, the 90s. Um, but it's so dark and it's so bleak and I'm so – I'm not going to ruin the ending, but it's, it, it ends all right. But, like, you're watching it and I just – you know, there's something about someone taking someone and trapping them and then them getting away that is incredibly fun to watch. And I, I don't mean it in a fun, fun way, but it's just that they get one over on the on the oppressor, oh, you know. Right. I
2: mean, this is why people love to watch post-apocalypse mm. films, right? It's because what you're doing is you're projecting yourself into that scenario and going, like, how would I go? How would yeah. I survive? Kicking him and in really, the face. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> kicking him in the face. And so you're doing, like... You're treating um, that sort of genre of horror film, right, as like a like with a sort of escape room mentality. of Like, how would I do? How would I go mm. with this? I can't. I mean, that's not my favorite one. I like I like the kind of like mind mind bending ones, um, like uh, Infinity Pool, the new Cronenberg, because I'm a fairly recent.
0: Yeah. Also, like body horror.
2: Well, I actually, don't, I mean, I, I wouldn't have said that I love body horror, but I think mm. I liked that. That was um, sort of I, I liked the sort of psychedelic cosmic horror aspects of yeah what Cronenberg Jr. was doing there. Um yes. It may as well be genetic. And similarly, there's an Australian horror out at the moment, which is kind of, you know, getting so much buzz. Um, Tell me more. It's, it's called Talk To Me. Um yeah, um, so it's a it's um, out with, it's got A24 distribution, but it's an Australian production house that made, it's the same production house that made um, Babadook, if you ever saw oh, that one.
0: Oh, God, yeah, terrifying. Yeah,
2: so it's psychological, yeah, yeah, yeah. psychological horror and like, like what is real, what is not, which both like is the most um, terrifying thing for me. Like the genre, mm. the subgenre of horror, which is like woman slowly loses her mind um, is like, I, I find it incredibly difficult to watch, but also incredibly compelling. And I think something happened in the last couple of years Where I realized that it's like it's exposure therapy, right? It's like you go like, oh, oh, I don't like the sound of that. Like, oh, horror! That that concept sounds Mm. scary to me. But then you watch it and you realize that you just get to the other side and you're like, well, that wasn't so bad. And actually, what I got out of it far exceeded the discomfort, whatever discomfort I might have felt at the time. That said, I'm not watching these things alone. I actually went to start watching um, last night in Soho the other night. So I was like, you know, it's the thing where you're like watch the well it's it's horror it's like it's like psychological horror that's really yeah Yeah. um don't don't say anything I've not seen it uh it was no spoilers because I started watching it and then I was but I was like alone in a house in like an old London house and I'm like yeah yeah. I actually can't I actually have to Uh, wait till I have company to watch this because I think it's going to be too much for me so there is still a limit I'm still like but I think horror has kind of come through as maybe one of my favorite like horror or horror-adjacent stuff is yes, now... Yes, I'd say mm,
0: horror-adjacent for me. Yeah, my favourite thing to watch. Yeah, me too. I watch... Um, sometimes I watch all of that. <laughs> like, it'll just be that... And I'll throw in, like, a sort of slightly gory Korean action-y horror film as well. Like, they do zombie films really well. And I don't like zombie films. I think they're stupid because I don't believe zombies can exist.
2: But I mean, like, so much of what happens in horror... Can't
0: exist. No, but, no, of course not. But
2: like that's not a barrier the, most of the time. But I mean, for example, yeah. a more realistic, you know, iteration of the zombie genre would be The Last of Us. Did you yes, get around yeah.
0: that? I did, and I've talked about it before. But I, I have a problem with children getting killed in things and stuff like that. I don't like seeing kids die or someone shoot a kid or something like. That. I, I just, you know, uh, and there's spoilers on this show anyway, so we say that at the beginning. Sure, but um. Initially, I watched the first episode on my own. I got as far as that happening and I went, fuck this, I'm out. And then I watched it again about a month later. Uh, we watched it together and with my, with my wife. Um, and she, we got over that hump and it was brilliant. Of course it was brilliant, but I do find that a bit of a barrier Uh, because I have, anyway, no. That's so interesting. No, it's not boring at all. I think this is really
2: interesting stuff. I, like, I actually, I mean, perhaps it's something you want to move on from, but, Mm. like, just finding what people's sticking points are in horror because, Mm. I mean, let's, like, work from the starting point that we all know, Mm. you know, we all know in the same way that we know that magic isn't real, we know that, um, you know, that, that horror films are just that, they're constructions. Hmm. Like it's all just constructed narrative, except when they're, you know, retelling a, a true story and then you can't you really take umbrage yeah. with that because what they're reflecting is something that happened in the world anyway.
0: Yeah, like Amityville was real. Come on. <laughs> yeah. it? it can't be, but, can it? Come on.
2: But <laughs> like even when you get to when you get to the moment in you know, there's a there's a particularly challenging moment in in the film Talk to Me, which you may struggle with. Okay. Um, but it is, you know, it's a particularly violent moment with hmm. um with a with a teenager it's like a um something really okay. awful happens to that person um and it's you know through the lens of like there's you know yeah. super, supernatural things are happening so it's not okay. like but you know they, it's a device to tell a story and it's there to shock you and for me it's like oh, a woman slowly loses mind is the really challenging thing um and it tells us something about ourselves right but like mm. I think what's really interesting is like because all of these things, like horror shows us things that are objectionable. That's maybe the yeah. defining characteristic of the genre. Um, it shows us things that are supposed to be to revolt us um, on some level, like me- probably on some moral level, like it's supposed to upset. That is kind yeah. of what we're doing there. And so I think it's really interesting when people pick things out of the pile, like not that though,
0: mm. not
2: that. Um, and I count myself in this as well because that's no more morally objectionable than, you know, the other thing that was sort of, no, of shown. So. Yeah, 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 but yeah. it's just what we're able to tolerate. And and we have an ability to go, it's not real, it's not real, it's not real, we're just watching a construction. Mm. But somewhere that safety that we have for ourselves, that it's not real, it's not real, it's not real, breaks down.
0: Yeah, and I don't want to think about things like that because, like, if, before I had kids, I wouldn't have given a shit. I would have just watched it. And for me, it was all about animals, animals. I am vegetarian uh, Mm. for 30-something years. Wow. Um, I I was like all about the animals all about the animals now I've got kids can give shit about the animals and, 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 you have room in your I mean, heart I'm, for
2: exactly one thing
0: yeah, I know I it's care? like I see people going oh but you gotta like save the dogs from Kabul and stuff I go, yeah I guess so but maybe get the fucking people out first yeah. um, so like but I would have been the opposite 20 years ago sure. and, and now I've got kids it's like well I don't want to have that in my brain because I have enough yeah. stuff in my brain when I'm like chopping vegetables I'm thinking if this knife flies out of my hand and chops their finger off I'm gonna you know so I'm always I'm always looking for danger you know and I think I just don't want that poison so I guess that's why I don't love that.
2: That's, I mean, and it's what you find sticky as well. It's like the things that yeah. are psych- psychologically sticky to you that are going to like hang around yeah. in your brain and you and you know from experience what those are. Well, I, I do
0: know from experience because I wrote this book called You Shot My Dog and I Love You about <sighs> me growing up in Ireland and at one point I was actually, I don't, don't want to bang on about that, but like, no. you know, it's a, it's a book about, it's a mostly funny book, but there is a bit in it where my parents actually locked me in a room for quite a long time and so that I know where I get that sort of want of survival mm. and I didn't actually break out of the room and I did do as I was told and I did stay there so I know what it's like to sort of have that Mm. like oppressive, you know waiting for someone to let you out sort of thing so I know that's probably why I like those things and why I don't want kids to be you know hurt well that's
2: completely understandable and I think what's really interesting is that there are two sorry this is me turning to me me me, psychoanalyzing you I'm sorry this this happens sometimes I'm (laughs) so sorry this is what I do um I don't mean to I think I'm in the wrong profession I like it Um,
0: it. whatever this turns into is great I love it okay if
2: we were to split your like personal experience apart into the two kinds of horror genre that we've been talking about Hmm. one is like escape room, person is trapped, person oh, needs I to escape. I love escape, an
0: escape room film. Oh, my God, right. I love them so much. Yeah,
2: you love those. So much. but But that is, like, <laughs> equally a part of, like, your, if I can be so um, presumptuous as yeah. to call it uh, your personal trauma, um, yeah. then as what was done to, you know, like harm being done to a child. Mm. And yet one half of that, harm being done to a child, you cannot abide to see reflected on a screen or you find it very challenging. Mm. But the other you find compelling and you can't get enough of it. You want more. You're like, I want to see how True. they get out. Yeah, and yeah. I, I, I don't know what the split is there. Maybe, maybe it's because you, you sort of, you overcame, like you sort of came out, you're okay. And you know, you're, you are who you yeah. are now. Yeah, and I so, yeah, yeah. and so it's kind of a safe thought exercise, maybe to go like, how, how does the person get out of that room to like replay mm. that? Whereas yeah. the, because the harm done to kids, you're now like, but my
0: kids. Yeah. Cause I'm, me as a kid trying to survive some kind of thing has happened and I've been through it and it's the worst thing that could happen. Not sexual, only violence, Mm -hmm. uh, as if that's a good thing. Um, Yeah. uh, So now I can sort of probably play that out by watching things like, if I see a film come on like The Ledge or like, that film was it just called like fall or something two girls climb this tall tower and they can't get down and they, something happens it's like oh yeah this is so <laughs> my bag if that happens just before a hotel stay I'm like so happy I'm like that's a perfect <laughs> seven o'clock movie right there <laughs> you know <laughs> just anything like that I can I just lap it up
2: you they're know, not so. all built like you I love that that's like that's like a happy place for you now to be like Let's see how they do it, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I
0: guess so. Well, that speaks a lot, doesn't it? Yeah. I should be asking you questions. You're the host of the The journalist, the journalist in me dies
2: hard. It no, really like is it. very hard to subdue, <laughs> apparently.
0: I think I'm onto something. But yeah. Can I in, insult on this script? <laughs> this sounds amazing. Yeah, you can. It's called beep I worked in this um just for a day in this place called British Sugar. And they said, oh, if you just climb up that ladder over the boiling hot sugar and just clean up that thing. And I was like, is this fucking 60s Batman? I'm gonna fall in here and die, right? Sixties <laughs> Batman, try like industrial <laughs> revolution, or, like know. sending a six-year-old down the coal
2: mine. That's I know was like that.
0: Anyway, me, 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 me. Wrong podcast. <laughs> Okay, I will ask you, let's spin it to something really simple. What's the funniest thing you ever saw on TV?
2: This isn't definitely the answer. Like I don't have the answer to hand. There's definitely be something funnier that I saw on TV, but I do have a memory of Monty Python. I mean, so I, you know, I grew up, uh, you know, in the 90s. I was born in 89. So, mm-hmm. you know, I was watching um, whatever we had managed to take off the TV on VHS. Um you know that was kind of my comedy diet, and we'd managed to like snaffle Monty Pythons. I think it was the meaning of life yeah off you know when it was being played out sometime yeah. on free to air and and that was the thing that I watched again and again and again mm-hmm. and again, to the point where my parents pretended not to know what the tape was and like taped over it because they're oh, like really like the same the same way that my father he'd all his he all his Beatles records from me because you I, them I wouldn't stop playing them <laughs> and he's like you're ruining you're yeah, ruining yeah, yeah, my yeah. favorite band kids I that. need you to stop <laughs> yeah, yeah. um but I just did I did it with Beatles records I did it with Monty Python um Meaning of Life I think it was the Meaning of Life or maybe it was enough something completely different but I just have this memory of being unable, physically unable to stop mm. laughing. I can't remember which Monty Python it is, but it starts with like
0: a series of explosions. Like mm. people That's a TV show, isn't it? And Now for something different. I think that's a completely totally different. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 and, yeah.
2: And maybe it was that and, and just seeing, I remember seeing that for like you know, it was the first or second time I'd seen it or something and just seeing like a person in, a, and you know that there's a like a person in the bush or whatever and you're like pan mm. back 100 metres or whatever and it just goes yeah. and then you cut like snap, like smash cut to another. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> people just like people exploding basically. And I thought that was funniest shit I'd ever seen in my entire life. And, and it was probably what made me fall in love with absurdism was that like those, for a lot of people, I think like Monty Python did that for a lot of people, right? They're responsible for a lot. Well, I was thinking a lot about that. Um, I was kind of working on, an, as, as I sometimes do, like, I've got a half written essay somewhere, which I've, I have I'm yet to finish. Uh, but it's about what makes some deaths funny on screen. Um, like, look, they're talking about, um, for example, the the season finale of uh, White Lotus. Obviously, this podcast is full of TV spoilers, but in this instance, I want to be extra vigilant. If you haven't seen season two of White Lotus, skip this entire section. Go to the next bit of music and listen to the next part because there are massive spoilers. So Jennifer Coolidge's character, we all know Jen- Jennifer has to die. Yeah. Um, we, we we feel we can feel it coming, yeah. but it's the most shocking and sudden and quick undignified death. Yeah. And she's just like, bam, we love this character. And she's just like head trauma. And it's like sort of shot at a sort of murky, you know, not overly close angle. And it got me thinking about what makes some death funny on screen. What are the mechanics that make a death funny? And I was thinking back to that Monty Python sketch. And I think it's like, if you turn the violence up, like past a certain, there's like, obviously a window where it's unfunny, But then if you take the violence to such an extreme level, it's like, oh, you don't get to see like their face being ripped apart. You get like, you just see smithereens, you just see an explosion and you pull back. Yeah. um, Because it shows you something about the insignificance of the death and that like death becomes absurd when it's contextualized sufficiently when you're like, oh, it's just one person and the world is so large. Maybe it's something about that. I don't know. I'm spitballing here. But like, why those deaths? Were so funny because there wasn't context. Like for people who haven't seen that sequence in Monty Python, there's no like. don't oh, no. That is what what is funny about it is like you don't know the people who are exploding and dying. It's just a series of people exploding and dying. It's just someone
0: talking in a field and then an explosion, and then John Cleese at a desk, and then
2: right. <laughs> but explain to me why the why the fuck that's funny. But it was it was the, maybe the funniest thing I'd seen to to that point. And I'm like that shouldn't be like if you tried to explain that to aliens who don't have whatever like part of our brain makes us find things funny, they'd be like, you're a monster. I'd be like, well, maybe. Hmm. Uh, but we, like I do care about other deaths. Like I can't watch um, that fictional child die in that horror film. However, watching that fictional person explode, six fictional people explode. Hilarious. So funny. Funny deaths are funny no matter whether they happen to Jennifer Coolidge. Great example. We liked her. We loved her. We didn't want her to die. She wasn't like, I mean, she wasn't perfect. But she was, like, not the bad guy in that plot. Like, in general, you could say because that series was part of the kind of uh, wave of eat the rich mm. um, content where, you know, it, it had a kind of strong anti-capitalist muscle at yeah. its core where it's just like, like, fuck these guys. Fuck They've got too them. much money for, yeah. no, for no reason and we're angry about it and so now we're going to make fun of them. Um, but you did you did like her. You did love her. She was in, like a global sensation. It sort of revived mm. her career in this incredible way. It's uh, a slapstick
0: character though, isn't it? So when she, she dies a in a slapstick character. way, so that's maybe why it's funny. If she is going to die, that's how she's going to die.
2: Right. She's going to die like, on her ass. Her goodness yeah. doesn't actually interact with whether or not we, like we were, we were okay with her death mm. um, and in a way that, so it's actually, it's it. I think it's decoupled from morality. Like, I, I think that the sort of like, oh, a good person dies, and therefore we care, versus a bad person dies, and therefore we don't. Yeah, you're right. That's not. It's actually kind of nothing to do with that. I think that's like the that's like the top top of the pile answer, but I don't think it's the right one. I st- Yeah, I started a list of. I wonder if I've still got it, but like a, a list of funny deaths because mm. I wanted to try and work out what united them. Um, and I think there is something where you do need to. Dehumanize in death if like it, almost always the, the kill shot that makes you I mean that's not what that word means kill mm. shot yeah, but like the moment on screen when the person dies what one of the only sort of common aspects to it is that it's shot at a distance if it's sufficiently close mm. you cannot laugh if you've got face expression yeah. identity in frame like in that moment you like it under it undercuts whatever might be funny about it Um, but if you, if we're pulled back, it has to, the view has to be back and I don't know what the magic number of meters is, but at some point it becomes funny if you've done it well enough. Um, and, and we find that we find that funny. I'm still trying to, I'm still trying to get to the bottom of it. When I finish the essay, I'll let you know. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I'm also trying to think of like. So they went the other way in sort of 80s and 90s films where like whole planes of people would just blow up in a movie or something and you wouldn't care about them either because you'd be like, oh, I don't know who that is. It would start with like Die Hard and it would go into like executive decision, all those kind of 90s titled movies that are like two words mm. together. If you look at like a list of movies with the highest death count, they're all from that era mm. and they're quite unemotional, the deaths in them. You don't really care about any of them. Mm. What I never liked watching was like a close-up death of someone for nothing they're just shooting everybody and shooting everyone 70s stuff people just drop into the floor you don't really have a connection with these characters but you also I don't like seeing that I'd still want them to sort of you know deserve it in some way you know
2: well, it's it's all we're about where the camera lingers it's very interesting you know as a journalist because I've you know we're always kind of covering deaths of various kinds in the news but we endow Mm. in the same way that a director chooses whose death you're going to care about, whose death is going to be funny, whose death is going to be tragic by where the camera lingers and how close it lingers um, and what else is in the frame. Journalists are doing Mm. exactly the same thing at all times when it comes to we're choosing which deaths, you know, the news audience is going to care about. If we say 207 people died on this plane in this you know, part of the world. And we don't give any other detail. Mm. We don't talk about their nationalities. We don't talk about what their jobs yeah. were. We don't talk about, I don't know. We we just don't know anything about them. We don't contextualise them. Then we don't care. But we randomly sometimes, seemingly, it's not random, of course, but um, it you could be mistaken for thinking that it is sometimes elevate some deaths above others.
0: Um, well, yeah, when they say like it, a plane of 278 people go down in Indonesia containing two Britons, it's like... What about the others? <laughs> it's like, oh yeah,
2: like, that is that is easily one of the most bananas things that we yeah. do, and you can see like there is a there is just the barest rationale that holds up, you know, like on a very sort of like it's a, it's a thin defense, but it does hold. It's like, well, if you're reporting it for a British mm. audience, perhaps they will know the person, yeah. and so you we, you you need to know that there are your countrymen. Um, country women, mm. uh, country people, country people. Um, on on, <laughs> on on the plane because yeah, um, but like you know it is so often uh, oriented around race, uh, but I mean it's more than that as well. Like the way that you know if you look at crime stories, like why some crime mm. um, stories are elevated to national media and why others aren't, and there is merit to this argument about you know the rich white young attractive person we're always going to care more about their death than the death of Mm. anyone from you know a marginalized community for example um but it is also more complicated than that and but it's yeah there's just a really neat parallel there sorry I'm not very funny today I'm just talking about I just want to talk about death apparently So right after I attend, right after I attend my morning mainstream media conference, (laughs) I attend my LGBTQI (laughs) conference and we get together and we decide, um, we decide what, you know, what the order of the day is. Yeah. People have, you know, increasingly, and I understand why, because power has been historically abused and concentrated in institutions. And so people are at this point in history, um, incredibly skeptical of, um, vestiges of power, institutions, Um, to the point where it's bled into a pretty um, widespread pattern of conspiratorial thinking just among ordinary people because the media, uh, as, you know, this monolith like you know as if we all kind of get together and have like a conference of media journalists every morning oh, the and be mainstream like media you, yes, off, yeah. how are we going MSM, to how are we yeah. going to decide what matters today you know no such could thing you, is,
0: ABC definitely call the BBC and corroborate and right make sure right I mean it. the sad
2: truth is that <laughs> so it is ridiculous. so much more ad hoc than that like we couldn't mm. we we maybe we should be better organized maybe we should have a mainstream media conference
0: you know I have a question here that I ask people I won't ask you it but it's um where is it what's the most horrific thing you've ever seen on television? And do you know how many people will say to me, oh, the news. The news. The news. Like, mm. oh. And I know a lot of people, I'll cut this, who just don't watch the news anymore. They've all got fucking loads of opinions on everything, but they don't watch the news. They oh, so I can't watch the news anymore. They get all their news from, I do not even want to know where, but... My mum will arrive. Why would you cut this? She, this makes absolute yeah, sense. Okay. Maybe your maybe, maybe oh, yeah, family maybe, maybe listens to the podcast yeah, and you yeah, don't want to upset do, them. But but yeah. Yeah, that's fine. It's fine. They know. I'll beep over it. Or something. But my mum arrived <coughs> recently. I don't care if she listens. Uh, <laughs> she came over for a visit and first thing she did was start telling me about how um you know electric bikes or uh, batteries have been uh, like blowing up on airplanes. Have you seen that story? And I'm like, listen, I know your agenda here. Before you even begin with this, right? don't start telling me about like electric vehicles being bad or your, where are you getting this shit from? Do you know mm. what I mean? And and stories like that. All I ever hear from people is stuff like something, a little seed like that. Oh, have you heard about, um? well, apparently the wind turbine. Nope. Don't even begin the story. Okay. <laughs> because yeah. I know you got it from your weird Fox Infowars world online, fucking flat earth lunatics. Mm-hmm. I don't want to hear this stuff from you. But the whole point is this whole conspiracy. Uh, they just find a conspiracy in anything. And, and I have to sort of hold myself to account because there was a time when after 9-11, where I thought America being the most, almost the most corrupt country on earth, I saw it as at the time, especially around Iraq, that I didn't really believe the true story I was being told was true. And and since then, I I kind of have, because I I don't want to be in that. In that group of people, there are things I have concerns about that we might not be told the truth about from the past for political reasons, whatever. Maybe even the moon. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not going to get into it. But the point is, now they find it in everything. In every little thing has some conspiracy behind it, no matter what it is. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's just yeah. people have gone fucking absolutely insane. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, don't know, I don't know what's going on. It they is, don't read yeah. the news, but they have all this news from not news outlets just yeah. me it could be you or me just making something up and it'll just get out there as a real story you know yeah it's just I, I don't know what to do about it
2: no one does and i it's the intractable problem and i think pro, pro, maybe even the main problem that we have in um in this decade of mm. history is the integrity of information and the fact that we don't have the measure of the problem of the extent to which we don't trust information anymore or each other which means we certainly don't have a solution to it and Mm. it is causing it is at the root of so many problems that we have and it's you know if we get AI but that somehow work you know it's not looking like that's going to be the necessarily the solution but if if it can think up a way to solve that one it will all have been worth it.
0: 90% of it is just going to be porn related like everything always is. (laughs) I don't know what they're going to be doing. But anyway, I don't <laughs> want to think about it. Fucking robots or whatever. <laughs> That's what it will be. Whether we like it or not, we want it to solve, oh, maybe we could uh, knock that asteroid out of the way. No. It'll,
2: it'll do what we ask it to. And and currently, <laughs> on the current trajectory, we're mainly yeah. going to ask it to come up with new porn. Yeah.
0: from what I'm doing, we need social media, we need the internet, we even need probably TikTok and things like that to, to exist in some way or form. But there is a part of me that just really wants to switch it all off. A big yeah. part, a big, big part, you know?
2: It was very interesting when Ted Kaczynski died earlier this year to mm. see people um, re-engaging with his, because he more or less predicted Twitter um, and I'm not Kaczynski pulled. I'm not like, and therefore, mail bombs. Uh, but mm. I think there were a lot of people, and interestingly, there are a lot of young people. I think a lot of, uh, you know, a whole community of particularly like younger millennial and Gen Z, um, and increasingly Alpha, Gen Alpha mm. um, people online who now have access to, I guess, a lot of radical or like just obscure, like forget the word radical, but like, you know, fringe uh, political theory that just mm. wouldn't have been available to elder millennial Gen X um, people as they were kind of coming of age at, at the point where you start yeah. to sort of develop a political consciousness. And as we know, you know, when you're young, you do tend to kind of gravitate to more um, extreme modes of thought because you, you, you just, you know, you're not seeing as yeah, much the I was very, world. very
0: hard left when I was 18. Right. Very, no, very like, hard left. Likewise. I'm now not as hard.
2: But you now have like the Unabomber's Manifesto was not mm. something that, was in circulation or discussed among people my age as Mm. we were kind of coming into political consciousness or or Gen X or older. But there are like, there is is just like a large corner of like Reddit and TikTok, which is populated not exclusively by very young people but also by very young people who know who Ted Kaczynski is and who are doing Mm. a lot of reading about like because he, you know, what kind of for people aren't familiar, if he... He, he was a kind of an anti technologist. He was kind of like looking, and he, he was a brilliant mind. Um, and he was looking down the barrel and doing a little bit of like napkin maths, maybe some more sophisticated maths based on his brain, but uh, what we know about his brain. But going, yeah. oh, this is all going in a really dangerous place, uh, towards a really dangerous place. And it has done that. But, and his solution, where he kind of got to, was like go offline, live in the woods. Um, and send mail bombs until people read my manifesto and become convinced that I was correct. And yeah, I just think I can just see that mode of thought coming back there. Are just, I just, you know, so often I find myself drifting into conversations when people are going, you know, oh, what do we do? What do we do about, you know, all the problems that we've been talking about yeah, today. Yeah, yeah. And they, uh, they start speaking in a way that like, it could be ripped from Kaczynski's manifesto. Yeah. Um, anyway. I, I I went on a Kaczynski deep dive this
0: year, clearly. I do have a, a slight theory that, because how these things are, everything that people engage with now, everything online, all methods we use to communicate on social media, these are all invented by people in their 50s, 60s, 40s, maybe, whatever, right? So there is going to be a backlash. And I, I think it's coming in, in Generation Alpha, right, where they're going to not want a lot of this. Now, isn't there already a case where someone's suing their parents for... Their their life being online without their permission and stuff like that. I'm like, sure. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't like out. sharing my <laughs> kids' photos. My wife does when school starts and things like that. She likes to put a picture up, and I'm, I'm still uncomfortable with it. And I just wonder if they're going to rebel against a lot of it, and they might be the ones that actually.
2: Go well, on I, that. I think you are already seeing the internet, um, the way that the internet is organised, and the way that people kind of gather, change shape. A little bit, um, mm. and what you see in people, kind of under thirty, especially, and increasingly in millennial, the millennial cohort as well, is people moving out of those kind of town square-style um, spaces. You know, mm. platform formerly known as Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, even TikTok to an extent, um, and kind of going, okay, well, where where I'm actually going to be myself, where I'm actually going to communicate and um, participate in an online community, it's going to be more closed rooms, more curated spaces. Whether that is a Discord channel, a Reddit. Uh, like a sub a subreddit um yeah. you know whatsapp groups um
0: so less public uh,
2: less public more private more curated um, so back
0: to chat rooms really kind of in a way we
2: are like we're sort of and and you know um that generation is also less likely to um be using their real name or their real mm. the photo of themselves online when they um, when they do post, when they kind of are public, they have a kind of clearer idea about the public and the private and what is appropriate to share where and how. Um, and yeah. so you, you kind of are already seeing the internet reorganise itself, you know, and, and you're seeing the sort of disintegration and fragmentation of those kind of town square t- style platforms that I was talking about, kind of web 2.0. Yeah. Um, it's happening. It's already Good. kind of happening underneath this. And I don't think it's the worst thing in the world, although no, what I it don't. does mean, yeah, yeah. what it does mean, the flip side of that is that... We are now, um, so we replaced mass media with the internet, which sort of fragmented where people got their information, undermined quality control, um, mm. and, you know, a lot of those things which kind of gave us the, um, the chaos shipstorm of misinformation that we have now. We yeah. are now seeing a further fragmentation, which makes it even harder to, there's just no way to speak to everyone at the same time. Some people think that's a good thing. I, I think, you know, it cuts both ways. But what yeah. it, it does do is move us further away from any kind of solution to the misinformation problem that we were talking about before. Anyway, that's, I've, I've gone, I've gone big picture on this. But yeah.
0: From what I've seen, I see it in people over like 65. They're, they are as bad as teenagers, worse, with their phones and iPads. And they've all got the fact it's like, oh my God, I'm going to. If you don't turn those clicks off, seriously, they didn't get the memo. <laughs> yeah.
2: As someone who grew up hearing a lot from my parents, get your head out of that idiot box, It's what they call the TV. It's like, yeah, yeah, don't yeah, watch, yeah. The, you know, your head, you've got, oh, you kids are hopeless, eyes. you know, you got square eyes, you know, all yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. It's like, now who's got square eyes? Like, know, I'm, right? I'm, I'm I'm. more focused. I'm more in the room than, yeah. than, you know.
0: I agree with that 100%. That is so true, isn't it? Yeah. I think I'm going to end it there. I'm not even going to bother asking you any more questions. <laughs> well, it's lovely speaking to you.
2: Lovely to speak to you yeah but i really appreciate the chat and yeah it's been lovely lovely to meet
0: you yeah yeah and i really enjoyed your characters and it's very very funny Thank we you. had a very serious chat then though but it's all right <laughs> it's all good i can be lot- funny i
2: promise i can well, be no, funny it's fine. i
0: know you can <laughs> thanks angie it was really nice to meet you and thanks for coming on television Time. take care <laughs> there. What a great chat. I really enjoyed meeting her and uh, seeing her in Edinburgh. I look forward to whatever she does in the future because it's going to be fantastic. Everything she does is so artistic and just like, you know, out there and brilliant, really. So do check her out. All the links will be in the show notes for this episode. Uh, just scroll to the bottom and you get all the links to Angie's work. Now, I've already told you about the outro track, so I'm going to say nothing else about it. Here it is. It's called Everything Could Change in an Instant, written by me, recorded in Japan, part of We Are Animals. The final track on it, actually. Now, remember, this is here purely because David Cameron has done a surprise return to the UK government. And then you'll hear his voice in this So
1: Everything could change in an instant everything could change Isn't hidden now. You sold the beans and blamed it on the cow. If this is what you planned, I never would have shook your hand. You ride in on a bloodstained horse. Now the king is crowned, his change of heart must run its course. She definitely by the Tell your
0: song on we are animals which i consider my master work musically it's just a favorite album i've ever made uh, really i wrote it all over the uk and australia and thailand actually and then recorded the whole thing in japan in 2006 i just love it it will be remastered at some point as i keep banging on about now i hope you enjoyed the episode with Ange. come back next week for more and thank you for tuning in and i'll see you next time